Hey folks, you know one of my main sponsors is Granite Garage Floors of Chattanooga. Dan Menninger has done work for me personally, for my family, and for literally dozens of Chattanooga, North Georgia folks. Granite Garage Floors, 423-592-3131, lifetime guarantee, easy to maintain, and trust me, it's way more affordable than you may think. Hey folks, this podcast is brought to you in part by my friends at the Vascular Institute of Chattanooga. You don't need a referral and appointments usually within one week and they are accepting new patients. They are this region's critical limb center focusing on amputation prevention and all of your vascular and endovascular needs. Hey folks, this podcast is brought to you in part by my friend Misty Bolt, MedicareMisty.com. Over 10,000 people a day are turning 65 and she and her team help people navigate all of the Medicare products in the Medicare process. MedicareMisty.com. Let's face it, there's decorations you want for your house and in your house. There are things you want to do to your yard and maybe your shrubs, plants, whatever it is. Tis the season to go to the Barn Nursery. My friends are sponsors of this podcast. 698-2276, thebarnnursery.com or 1801 East 24th Street. Hey folks, I'm super lucky to have Guardian Investment Advisors as a sponsor of this podcast. If you're wanting to save money for retirement or just navigate the financial world, do yourself a favor, call them 710-9199, Guardian Investment Advisors, or GIAplantoday.com. Hey folks, Jeff Stiles here, one of the hosts of the Chattanooga Drive-In Show, Chattanooga's communicator, the voice of the city's morning radio commute for about three decades now. I'm in the world of podcasting these days, and trust me, in our neck of the woods, the godfather, or maybe I should say podfather, of this new medium is my old buddy and friend in general, Clint Powell. Now, Clint's During the Break podcast is the city's longest-running and has been chosen by listeners as the region's best. Please, I'm asking our listeners, viewers, pod people, to tune in to Clint as well. And when you do, please give him a, a ranking, a rating, a big fat like, a thumbs up, a smiley emoji, whatever's called for in order to help him, his various partners, heck, the entire regional pod population. It's quick, easy, painless, and the right thing to do. Listen and like the Chattanooga Drive-In Show and then Clint Powell's During the Break podcasts and make the world a better place in general. Pod is great. Pod is good. We need your responses to afford some food. Hey, folks. Clint Powell here. This is During the Break. Let's do this. So this is a repeat guest. She's been on many, many times. She's one of my favorite guests on the planet. Her podcast, she used to host a really, really popular radio show in Atlanta. Then she went all podcasting because she is so good at her job that in the radio, they just forced her out. When you got really good, they're like, you know what? She's too good for us. We got to get her out of here. And now her podcast, the propaganda report is just blown up and, uh, just killing it. So let's just bring her up. She's some sort of libertarian, I don't know, anarcho capitalist. I don't know. We'll let her tell us. Her name is Monica Perez. Uh, her and Brad Binkley host the Propaganda Report. What's up, Monica? Not too much. I've actually moved beyond being an anarcho capitalist. I'm now an, a philosophical agorist. 
You know, you know not to do that to me. I'm public educated. What the hell? Happy birthday, Clint. Thank you. Well, but you look fantastic. You look happy. Thank you so much. I finally figured out the camera settings that will I, buy me 10 more years of, you know, whatever, looking fantastic. Well, good. Shoot me those. I need to figure those camera settings oh, out. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, thank you, Mike, for jumping on. What's up, buddy? Thank you for joining us. Um, Bye, Mike. So what is that you are now? What so you- it's funny because I was an anarcho-capitalist, Murray Rothbard school kind of gal where I don't believe that we need government because I believe that society is self-ordering everything from people who build apartment buildings and malls will build roads to connect them to when I was a waitress for so many years and there was no law that made people pay, but they always gave me tips. They wanted to come back to the restaurant and that's how it was. And I think society is self-ordering, but the idea of capitalism as being what I think of capitalism as it's like building up capital, using that to invest in uh, more productivity. They have so bastardized capitalism through this financial capitalism, fiat money, inflating monetary, I think it's, uh, something MMT. I forget what it stands for. And crony capitalism. Yes, all of yeah. that. So I actually feel like embracing capital as the tenet of my economic philosophy isn't really prudent and maybe not even accurate. Whereas agorism is a, a concept where it's about kind of bypassing fiat capital, fiat money, and trading in the marketplace, getting into gray markets and black markets as much as possible, not trying to find other people who produce things themselves, maybe do stuff off the grid. Don't support the war machine with your tax dollars if you can possibly um, do so. And But the, the thing is, I'm such a city girl that I'm not trading chickens for that's Lemons. what I was going to ask. It's I just, got, I got. So it's just, I'm just philosophically. I feel like I, I have a, a moral obligation to grow some chickens, but I absolutely don't know how. Hey, to do that. I got to give you a tip, and I'm not a farmer. I don't think you grow chickens. I think you raise chickens. I don't think oh, you grow that chickens. could have been the problem. I've been planting eggs in my backyard, and I just planting chickens up to their <laughs> neck, and they're like, "What? What the hell? Am I supposed to do a tree?" How's I that did. Work? I did plant a potato. My mother uh-huh. said when the, it has eyes, like, go plant it, plant it in the garden. So garden, meaning the dirt in the backyard. Yeah. And I did that in my house here and I forgot all about it. And for the longest time, I would see my dog running around with like Yukon gold potatoes, eating potatoes. I'm like, where did you get that potato? And I realized that my potato had grown at, at least one more potato yeah. and, uh, and the dog ate it. Hey, two things before we jump into podcasting and headlines. Um, Mike asked if you're in Japan, I'm assuming because of your background. <laughs> I know. I was a little worried about that because it has the words on it, but I just love the cherry blossom or whatever it's it is. Beautiful. I know. I really tell you, I agonized for months and I did think that I thought it was going to look like I am yeah. just embracing a different culture, but I just think it's very nice. Sorry. No, Mike, she is in another country. She's in the country of California. Oh. California with a K. It is not cool. <laughs> mm, it is a different world. And we're going to talk a little bit about the 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 fleeing of those blue states of, of we call them blue states, but just a yeah. different mindset. But the second thing I wanted to say to get housekeeping out of the way is happy late birthday to your mother. Oh my gosh. Yesterday was my mother's birthday. She's at 93, which unfortunately... Hints at my age. I mean, 
she was as old as Sarah when I was born, but it still makes me a little bit old. But yeah, so you are very close to sharing birthday with my moms. Uh, that's great. So shout out to Monica Perez's moms on. Oh, her she loves you. By the way, oh, I love her. Yes, yes, she loves you. It's like, who is that young guy from? You know, I know Kentucky. Like, yeah, it's, it's Clint from Tennessee. It's like, oh, yeah. he's he's got his head on his shoulders. I can tell you that. Not like the other people you talk to. I'm like, okay. Is she? Does she vote Republican <laughs> and conservative? She. My parents were so conservative that they never voted Republican. My father would send Ron Paul money in the '70s. My father had nine kids and was a truck driver. Like he would send Ron Paul money, and he would never ever the he he hated Richard Nixon for opening up China. Like he just absolutely. Although he thought he was railroaded in Watergate, I agree with that. Uh, my mother still to this day won't buy things made in China. They've never bought anything made in China. And uh, she would be, she's a traditional conservative and she always, she stopped liking Trump when he embarrassed his wife by bringing his girlfriend to the ski slopes. And then all of a sudden when he was running for president, he loves this country. He loves this kind. She's like a die hard Trump supporter. Die but there's hard. no, there's no perfect leader. We can find fault in everybody, <laughs> everybody. But you know, that's a, that's a good point though, because I think what we called a conservative and a liberal in the sixties and seventies, the versions of both of those parties has kind of gone away now. Yes. I, I think mean, now it's more about image than ideology. Narratives so and propaganda. People, people want to look like they're in a certain group, even though back in the day, the liberals were about my body, my choice, not only for their stance on abortion, but also their stance on vaccines. So now they are just like good people believe in vaccines. And then so they you know what I mean? They've just all of a sudden made it where like Hillary says there's this basket of deplorables. Well, there's the the you know, basket of uh, hipsters or whatever, where you have these, they can, the powers that be can just put whatever they want in that basket. And if you want to stay in that basket, you adopt those beliefs. But yeah, yeah. I think it's divor divorced from the kind of what I used to say, Aristotle versus Plato, Aristotle being the individualist and Plato being the collective. They, people don't even get that. Yeah. I think they both got, they've both kind of been removed from their basic principles and tenets. I think, I think we forget it's only progression is only good if you're heading in the right direction and conserving something's only good if you're conserving the right things. And I think we've lost track of that. And um, yeah, I, I think we've, we've lost a little bit of track of that. I will say this, it's kind of odd to see people like Neil Young. Have you seen Neil Young and his new big thing not, about the, not lately uh, Neil uh, with Joe Rogan on the podcast? No, I nearly wore my Neil Young t-shirt. Okay, so Neil Young went to Spotify and said, Spotify, you can either keep Joe Rogan or you can keep my music. But if you keep Joe Rogan, I'm pulling my music off. What? Oh, yeah. I said that yesterday. Oh, yeah. So, so that's the thing. Like liberals used to be, I read a book about the Grateful Dead by Hank Harrison. There's a long story about that guy. But he was saying how censorship is, this was way back Day, he was annoyed at the at the women who would shut up male chauvinist pigs. And he said censorship is worse than chauvinism. And that was the more liberal stance. It's funny. I saw a meme about this and it said, I would love to see a 1970s version Neil Young debate a 2022 version of Neil Young. Because back then he was railing against the government. And now... Yeah. 
He's not railing to, you know, he wanted it to, I don't know. It was pushing and back. And he's supposed to be that. such an axis. I, I always criticized him because of all those years where he, he's, he's a super rich dude. I mean, yeah. he's, he hasn't made any difference with his stances and his anger. And I mean, I think I quote this. I think I quote the song pretty well. Southern man doesn't need him around anyhow. Oh yeah. So yeah, you know, I'll yeah. I'll I'll take that song to mean what I want it to mean. People can't give me, they can't assign me meaning on that. Hey, let's talk podcasting. How is okay. the propaganda report? And tell everybody kind of in the middle of this where they sure. can find it because it's a great podcast. Oh, thank you so much. So it's called the propaganda report. That's our overarching thing. We have a few different features, but our main show is the drive time news blast. So when I had a radio show on terrestrial radio on the weekends, I was always looking for a source of kind of daily news that didn't have a ton of like agenda spin from one party or the other, or in the alternative space, just end with everything is falling to pieces by gold. I just wanted an objective, you know, like the mainstream media, but without the corruption or the compromise. Right. So we did it ourselves. And my um, producer from WSB and I do a podcast now where we just bring the news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. And you can get it free on the Propaganda Report podcast feed, or you can get kind of double uh, if you become a subscriber at patreon.com slash propaganda report or Rockfin is really a bargain. Rockfin.com slash propaganda report. Real bargain because you get all of our premium stuff. You get our exclusive deep dives and you get everybody else's premium stuff. It's really, it's like Netflix. It's really amazing. I've said this to to other people. I had JJ Boogie on my podcast a couple of, about a month ago. Nice. And he and I were talking about you and Binkley. And I don't know of a podcast that gives more for free or more for a cost, especially, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Yeah. I, I think you'll take it as a compliment. There are giant podcasts like uh, Daily Wire. They have over a hundred employees and they do this. They give away so much free and so much when you invest just a few dollars a month. But most podcasts, unless you have a giant staff that's researching and working they don't do the stuff that you do. So you're actually giving that kind of content, I think, on a just you and Binkley, maybe. Yeah, no, for sure. It's absolutely yeah. just it's like a night and day job. But my I'm such a really a capitalist at heart that Binkley is just like, we need to beg more. We need to ask people for donations. I said, I'm not asking anybody for anything. I am going to create a product that satisfies me. And that people want to pay for. And if we can't find a place where supply and demand intersect that I want to live in, then I should use my efforts someplace where people will value them. Mm -hmm. And it's just market validation that what you're doing is has value. It's and supply if it and demand. Yeah. And if it doesn't, that's a message to you that yeah. maybe you can do something better, a different format or whatever. So as long as people appreciate it and um, value it, I will know because I, it'll be worth my while. How's it changed for you the last couple of years? Do you get into podcasting? You have this <sighs> mindset of what it's going to be like. How have you evolved as a host and expectations over the last two or three years? It has been, it's difficult because in the beginning, you're just putting your blood, sweat and tears into it. And you're really not covering the, I wasn't covering the cost of babysitting. Like now I feel like we're successful because the hours I spend doing this instead of cleaning my house, like I can get somebody else to do it for the same, you know, it's like yeah. even Steven 
I'm not making money out of it, but it is a better use of, of my experience. And what it, what I realize is that to execute a vision, it takes a really long time. So like you can have your vision and it can be a good one, but to actually, it's just like, oh, pie. it took, it took years. I've been doing this for over 10 years. It takes 10 years to sound like you sounded when someone was like, oh, you'd be good on the radio. Because it's so hard to do that, not just because like you have to like get a grip on yourself, because it is different when you're not, especially when you don't have an audience to like be able to imagine that and keep the flow going. Yeah, you're used to phone calls and feedback and it's Yes, and even, and that was a change from people in your living room, you know, like you don't get Mm. to hear the phone calls till after commercial when they're all screaming at you and you're like, wow, I wish I had seen the look on their face five minutes into the rant instead of 10 minutes, you know? Um, so that was, and I actually got really good at that, which is why it's a shame that I don't have the radio show anymore. There's just a couple little shames, but the other thing is you have to keep getting better. You have to keep, um, tweaking your format, tweaking your platforms. Like you, it's, it's a business. It's amazing that it's a business and it's not like if I went and worked as an investment banker used to be or anything that I could do now, it would be like, more dollars, like you would actually be able to put money in the bank. But, uh, in this time, I feel like it's, we're just, we're in the home stretch here. Like if we don't at least shore up the remnant, they'll be, I I mean, I worry about humanity itself with the metaverse. And I mean, my opinion on vaccines is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm worried about stuff that, that acts, acts on the genetic level that's doesn't hasn't been around long enough even in animals or whatever so i feel like we have almost an existential crisis to use the terms of no. uh, war people and and i just i feel like i have to do it but i also have to keep my house clean so <laughs> well me and eric my, i've got a it's my podcast. real job well i got a podcast we do called of by for the people and it's we have two different conversations and it's a group of guys and girls that come on and we talk about headlines and we try to put it in context with historical mindsets. So a lot of the stuff we're experience, we're hearing now, you hear about 80, about every 80 years in our society. We hear this, this, the, the, the push for Marxism, the push for socialism, whatever it is, this isn't the first time it's been tried. I think it's getting stronger every time we hear the voice. And then I have we know that we do another one about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And the reason that we think those kind of conversations are important now, just like with you and what you're doing, it's not just having one giant voice. It's people who have the opportunity for these medium sized and small voices to do what they can do because we're just the curators. We're just the facilitators of this freedom from the generation before us to the generation after us. And I feel like if we don't stand up and talk, at least learn how to talk to each other, even when we disagree, then we're going to hand the next generation a society that can't talk. They can't discuss. They can't yes, learn. That That is what's happening. And then one other thing that I was surprised and is probably the number one thing that's happened over the past two years, that the, the most positive email I get the the largest quantity is people saying that we got them through Brad and I got them through what they consider to be madness. Like the yeah. people all around them losing their minds from Trump derangement system uh, syndrome to burning down cities to of course the lockdowns and um, bad science and everything. And, and we're, I, 
my fan base is not Trump supporters, but they recognize we're basically, if we were going to pick a politician, it would be Ron Paul, but we don't really do that. Uh, I think for the most part, although, you know, the tent's big enough for everybody, but it's just this idea that people can still be so many people like think that there's like, is it, am I the only person who can still think? And if I'm the only person, then maybe I'm not thinking straight. And then they come to this place where we're like with you guys having a conversation where everyone doesn't agree, but they actually are like, Oh, I understand what you're saying. And I disagree because I don't think this is true. Or I disagree because I have a different ideology, not you're bad. You're a racist. You're crazy. Shut up. Like, it's like, how is that? How is that worthy of humanity? Well, once you, once you start labeling your neighbors and people in your community, the worst when you assign them the worst moral characteristics you can, then it can justify a lot of evil shit. I mean, I can really think the worst of Monica if I can assign her the worst moral character out there. If she is a true racist, if she yeah. is a if she if you are the next Hitler, that justifies a lot of <laughs> sketchy stuff yes. in my, that I can do. And that's not right. Yeah, and I I read a book from Geez, it, it must have been the 60s by a colonel. I think his name is Archie something. I always forget his name, but Sanders? it was called. Is it Colonel Sanders? <laughs> no, maybe. <laughs> it might have been just a pseudonymical, but he was, it was peace from the wonderful people who brought you Korea and Vietnam. And he was saying, I think he, he revealed quite a bit like Major Jordan's diaries and stuff did, which is they would, they were moving materiel from Japan or wherever from the Pacific theater after world war II directly to Korea, like they were ready. And, and I mean, it ended up in Vietnam as well. So his, he was really had the inside track and what he was, was why he wrote the book was he was absolutely railing against the UN. And he was saying the UN is total, it's unconstitutional for us to be a part of the UN treaty. And, but when when you establish enough reliance on something like that, you kind of forfeit your right to withdraw. So we need to speak out against this now. And of course, we did not withdraw. But what he said was the entire um, currency of power from here on in is going to be race. They're going to use race and ethnicity and nationalities and all of that to demonize and pressure and change every country. And it can work on every country because at this point, every country has a nationality. And yeah. until that's not the case anymore, you're going to be able to use that. I'm not, I'm not opining. I'm not, I don't know if the guy was a racist or what. I just have no idea. But what he identified was true, which is they, if they could get rid of racism, they absolutely wouldn't. And they, and they could have with Obama. And that's why I think so many people voted from anyone on the margin wanted him there because they thought we would have a lot of healing. And instead he took that position along with Eric Holder and made it much, much worse, which I consider to be really, um, uh, you know, real sin, like a real sin. Yeah. I think that you, kind of what you were saying a minute ago, ties into what you're saying now you said a minute ago how a lot of people were reaching out saying you got that you and binkley got them through this this hard time and i think that's because there was a concerted effort to silo us into only hearing what our party air quote our group wanted us to hear and so if that's all i'm hearing it's easy to think the world is as bad as everybody that i know saying it is and now they can use that once they have the tool of segregating us into thought, they can they can put any message into any room they want to to keep us 
in that room. And there you go. And, but there's some of us now that have walked out into the hallway (laughs) and can see the doors and hear the different messages and go, wait a minute, you guys are moving the goalpost on us all the time of what it is to be an American. And it's just not right. And I think that the silo idea is critical to how they control our thoughts. They know that they can't actually get into your mind and control your thought, but they, I think do a lot. And I think podcasts are used against us in this way. So I used to be on the radio. So I could talk to people who have never heard anything that I have to say, and they can object, they can argue, but they would call and we would have that conversation. And it would simply allow people to think thoughts that they hadn't thought before. And it was also a call-in show. So you could see that other people in your community thought their own thoughts, not my thoughts, but not your thoughts either. But I presented an opportunity for that kind of exchange of ideas across borders like that. And, and that's quite dangerous to the powers that be they, the hopeless siloed mega person, whatever, as long as they're in an echo chamber are as no risk to anybody else. But when I do election integrity stuff with Garland and neither of us voted for Trump and we've been fighting or at least, you know, raising people's awareness, Garland's been fighting. I've been raising people's awareness to the irregularities in the Georgia election, for example, that really, that gives people pause. Like, you know, they can't just say, shut up, Trumper, um, because I'm not. Did, did it also help you? Did the was the radio a little? I don't want to say easier. Did you find it? It kept your knife. It kept you sharper. In other words, when Man. you have people throwing ideas at you, it kept you like, oh my god, time slowing down, going, why do I believe that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it was never easier. But I remember there were points where. I realized like most people don't have to really examine their souls and understand why they believe what they believe. So I did a show on Caitlyn Jenner saying, I don't think Bruce Jenner is, was like born a woman and is just like a woman waiting to get out. I don't believe that, but I also don't think I have a right to tell Bruce or Caitlyn Jenner what he or she can do with the body they were born with. So I got such abuse on both sides, like from Catholics and from LGBT, like during the show, like I was crying at the commercial breaks and I had to just, I mean, for days I cried for days and my mother was at my house and I was just like so upset. And she said, well, who put herself out there? You put yourself out there. They didn't ask you to go on. You just, you got to take, don't say that stuff if you don't want to hear what other people think. Oh yeah, she was. Not having but, it. But that was good advice, wasn't it? It was. I mean, I could have, she could have told me in a couple of days. I don't know, but <laughs> it was, it hurt. But, uh, but I had to really examine my soul. And like forever after that, I never, I mean, I agree with that position still. However, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't really try on the shoes of the other people and was ready for their argument. So I would have had to say to the Catholic guy, I understand that it's, it's against the Catholic church. And I, and you know, I, what can I do? It's also against the Catholic church not to consult your conscience. Like I would have had to, and I really had to do some soul searching. It was quite interesting. And as far as, uh, it was the station and I, in the time slot that Rush Limbaugh was on Monday to Friday. And then I was on Saturday. So everybody's getting their car, taking their kids to soccer. There were Rush listeners and I came on and I would have to be ready with what I was saying to, combat, I would piss those people off. So I was a libertarian, not a liberal, but they, anything that had to do with war or anything that had to do with 
uh, unless I was bashing Obama or whatever, they they were threatened by it and they would yell at me and they would recite what Rush said or recite what Fox said. And I would have to be ready. So I'd have to not only figure my own stuff out, but I would also have to stay abreast of Rush and Fox. So I started preparing for a three hour show on Saturday, Thursday morning. I literally like had an office dedicated entirely to preparing for that show. See, and I, I don't, I understand it a little bit, but I, I've always been um, a little confused on why if Monica Perez is a celebrity, let's say you're a celebrity, let's say you're a celebrity <laughs> and, and you, you have 10 beliefs, right? If me and you agree on six of those beliefs, that's good. That's great. And if there's two of those beliefs of the four remaining that me and you can find some common ground, that's okay too. And if there's two, we just vehemently disagree. I don't understand why I get to call you all evil <laughs> on the two and yet I embrace it because I've seen it now if, if in the world we live in now if I post something that I like I'll give you a great example if I post something I like that President Biden says I'm not saying I believe his policy but if he says the words that I think are needed at the time like when he comes out and gives condolences and I said that's a good I'll get back I'll be like oh well how about what he's doing at the border this ain't got a damn thing to do with the border it's possible that people that I disagree with still say good things. I agree a lot with what Martin Luther King said. I don't have to stand up and say that he was the best family man of all time. Same thing <laughs> right. with Bill Clinton. Or, or that he likes his politics. Yeah, I don't like his politics. I, I, it, it, it amazes me now that we're like, we have to dismiss wisdom because of the source. I'm saying you can take the wisdom and dismiss the bullshit. I guess it's the classic fallacy of the ad hominem attack. And I think it comes from ignorance and lack of critical thinking. So what you cannot, when they're, in my opinion, they're completely brainwashing the, these, like all the kids, they're messing oh, with God. them emotionally, the boys with like porn and video games, girls with TikTok and whatever. And if you want them to be your advocates, your social justice warriors, you can't really have them thinking through everything because a lot of that stuff doesn't make sense. A lot of these policies that are supposed to fight poverty and racism that have been in place for 50 years clearly either aren't executed right or don't make sense. But if you start teaching these kids how to think so that they can really engage in the kind of item by item rhetoric that you are hoping for, right. then they are going to be able to think. So that's why I sent my kids to a school. I only thing I was looking for in elementary school was a school that recognized the trivium, which is grammar, like rote, knowledge from the elementary stages. And then in the middle years, it's critical thinking. But in the later years in high school, it's rhetoric. And mm -hmm. that's what's been taken out of, uh, of public education that but remains in those super elite schools like that senators are they don't want it's just like the liberal arts were meant only for free men. So the Greek slaves could be accountants, but they couldn't be, um, you know, teachers of history. Well, and I, I've said this a bunch when it comes to the school system. I think, and I, I said this, I said I, I, I said it before COVID, the schools, whether it's pre-K, middle school, high school, colleges, they're all being used now for to be the air quote new parents of the kids. It's the 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 parent above the parent, and I don't care what people say. I would love to have a full show on education and have three or four people talk about it because I don't know why. People aren't pulling their kids out. I know they are, but I would homeschool my kids or put them in private school that has more aligned with your values. 
right now, today, this minute, I would do it. This minute. It's hard though. I mean, I think now it's weird because I, I think one of the, pro the, I believe that basically all the social stuff is orchestrated to the extent that the big T, they can do that. And one of the things which seemed like a, a, something that they had to, to accept was that they kind of got people's minds around homeschooling. But it's hard. I think I've actually I did an interview with a gal who was a homeschooler. She was like a, a she was like a stay in bed mom. She's like, oh, I always sleep late. It's almost better because I don't have to drive my kids to school. And she was just a powerhouse of homeschooling. Like you could totally adapt it to your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But it's intimidating, I think. And now I feel like they're moving into where they can give you online schooling, homeschooling. That is the public school curriculum. So they're gonna they're hijacking that. I feel like. Haven't you seen those commercials? It's oh, like yeah. K through twelve. If your kid has ADD and you don't want to send them to school, just plug them in. They were trying that way before COVID, and I feel like. They'll probably get more people to sign up for that than than Ron Paul's school revolution. Well, I, I'll just be honest with you though. They're they're gonna I said this on the podcast with Eric the other day. If we think eventually, once enough kids get into the homeschool or private school world, if you don't think because there's federal dollars attached that they're not gonna come after the curriculum and they're gonna start holding, you know, if you're gonna homeschool your child, they've gotta take this course. And if I don't, if we cannot see that they have watched this course online, you will not be certified. Your child will not be eligible for scholarships. They will not be eligible. In other words, once federal dollars get tied into a program, they really have all the control because all they got to do is say, hey, Monica, we're going to withhold the, the funding for your child. Good luck educating them and getting the resources and getting them into college because whatever you graduate them from is not going to be accepted. That's the thing. So for me, I... I, it's so funny because my father said this to me and I defied him. So he encouraged me to drop out of high school, which I did. And my mother was not happy with that. I ended up going back to community college and then I transferred to Harvard. I remember asking my dad, like, is it worthwhile to go to college? He was like, he would always say it wasn't. And I said, well, what if I could go to Harvard? He's like, well, if you could go to Harvard, you know, yeah, maybe but you'll probably come out a socialist. I was like, well, what if I didn't come out a socialist? What if I didn't have to pay for it? So I got a full scholarship to Harvard as a transfer student in those last two years. It was like amazing. And even then he was kind of like, mm, we still don't know whether he's a socialist or not. And I mean, he, he came to learn I was not a socialist, but uh, he was worried about that. But um, so I was thought he was wrong. I was like, oh my gosh, you totally want to do that. And then you want to go be a banker and then you want to live in a fancy neighborhood and all this kind of crap. And now I realize like even achieving a lot of those goals, I mean, I, I thought that going to Harvard was kind of like a ticket to ride. It isn't. And the tax structure and all of that is set up so that you just don't actually penetrate that um, the upper class or anything, but um, automatically, certainly not. But I then when like the COVID happened, I was like, I don't know how to grow chickens. I don't even have guns. Like, what the hell? And, you don't have uh, guns? Well, because my oldest son has Down syndrome oh, and I gotcha. just really yeah. worry about that. We're not like a gun house. And if I mean, I'll get there, especially if and when hopefully we move back to Texas. But I so now I say to my son, I'm like, hey, man, I think you need to know how to do all that stuff. So in the summer, instead of getting him an internship, I had him go to. Uh, my friend who has like a perma garden and next year he's going to go help my nephew build ponds. And, you know, I'm just having him do all that stuff. I'm like, if you don't want to go to college, we'll give you the money and you can do something else like be a builder or whatever. But I realized full circle, my dad was right. 
Oh yeah, I think I think we're starting to see a lot of this. And uh, there's a, a Randall Survival School down here, and it's not what everybody thinks it is. It teaches teaches people how to survive if you get lost in the woods, nice. how to start fires, how to grow your own food. But I'm I'm seriously, my, both my kids are older now, and I'm seriously thinking about that's going to be their gift. Uh, a you know a ten yes. sessions how to how to grow the food because we've had gardens, so they know that I think. But yeah how to do some of these survival skills. What, how do you start a fire when it's wet? Dude, my son went to one of those things. It was like a, it was um, a tracker camp. And yeah. he, when he went to boy Scouts and they had him do like a, you know, a, a survival thing. And he came back and he said, one of the things was starting a fire. And I was like, yeah, what's wrong with that? He said, they gave us a match. Like yeah, he we, thought that was not starting a fire. It's like, yeah. what kind of a test is that? I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> my fire would have gone out with a single match. Like I definitely wasn't going to do that. And then over Christmas, we're at my mom's house and they're like, Hey, why don't you build a fire in the backyard? So he goes in the backyard. I thought the fire department was going to come. <laughs> like it was huge. It was uh, huge. And I was I like, it. dude, no, no, no. And he was like, what? Was like, you're in California, dude. It took forever to go out. We were up all night. And he's like, so, don't put water on it. Don't put water on it. I was like, uh. I've got to talk to you a minute about leaving, going to Texas, but I got to tell a funny story. So my son was probably 14 and he, we loved fire pits and he has, you know, probably me and him both probably have ADHD, but so he would all the time, I had this big fire pit area built. He would all the time when he was probably ninth or eighth, ninth grade, he'd say, Hey dad, I'm going to go start a fire in the fire pit. So we had chairs around it and it would at least two or three days a month. It didn't matter what time of year. He was going out and starting a fire, and he would take stuff and throw it in the fire and burn it, and it was controlled anyway. So I'm inside the house on a Saturday, and I'm doing some housework, and I just got through cutting the grass. He said, I'm going to go out and start a fire. I said, okay. I get this knock 45 minutes later on my front door, and I, I go to the front door, and there's fire department standing there. And I go, yeah, what can I do? He goes, uh, hey, man, I hate to do this. Can you come outside with us? And I'm like, yeah. Well, we live closer. We got a little wooded area, and it was a nice little backyard, but we live kind of close to a main road. He goes, we saw black smoke, and black smoke is the sign that there's something material burning. It's oh, not the right. So yeah. he had dug up out of this, because we had these big woods behind our house. He had dug up these old railroad ties that have all those chemicals in it. No and they're way. illegal. You can get fined up to like 10 grand for burning those because they're so pollutant. Well, he had thrown no two of those. Way. He had burned, he had thrown two of those on this fire. So when I walked outside, so, they and were, they're fireproof, right? They're supposed to be fireproof. Well, they well they'll, like they'll that's burn. What those chemicals are right. They'll, yeah. yeah, they'll burn, but it takes yeah. a long time. But as you're burning them, it is throwing all these things. Wow. So the fire department's back there putting it out, and the guy looks at me and he goes, "Your my son's eyes are big," and he goes, "We're gonna let you pass. I got to write up a warning because this is pretty serious." He goes, "But." You got to keep an eye on your buddy back there. And I'm like, Jacob, because we had talked a little bit about that. Right, right, but He's right. like, I didn't think it mattered. It looked yeah. like there was Oh, you had houses. told him not to do it and he did it anyway? Yeah. I mean, I'm not like saying. Yeah, no, oh, no. I mean, it was 10 years ago. Just, yeah, he was yeah, they 14. just, they don't, they don't yeah. understand. Yeah, they don't realize. I'd also told him curious. not to fight and got to fight at school. Yes, so right, 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 right. Yeah, teenage boys aren't the greatest for listening to did rules. Did you tell him always not to fight? Oh, no, no, I told it. Right. Yeah, the time he got suspended from Sometimes school, the little boy fight. pushed him twice. The yeah. kid that pushed him twice. And he said, if you push me again, I'm going to hit you. And he smacked him in the back of the head, and Jacob dropped him. And yeah, good. I took him. I asked the principal, because there's this no tolerance thing, zero tolerance. And I said, hey, wait a minute. 
That kid got suspended. You for tolerated two, it. Yeah, yeah. I said that they kid tolerate. got suspended for two days. My son gets suspended for two days. That kid pushed my kid three times. A teacher saw it. Why is my kid right. getting suspended? He goes, dude, yeah. it's the rules. I said, what would you do for your son? He goes, I'd take him to a movie. So that's what I did. I took my son <laughs> to a movie. Because they want to replace this idea of equity. They want to replace fairness and justice with equity, equality, not yeah. even, even equity is something I feel like something should be equal to the reward or punishment that you deserve, but they just mean equal to each other. My, my husband was raised by liberals and he like one kid would be bad and the other kid would be good. And I would say, well, let's just take that kid with us when we go to the movies, whatever. And he'd be like, that wouldn't be fair. It's like, it would be fair. That's what is fair. I'm like, it yeah. wouldn't be equal, but it would be fair. And he just, I, I've had yeah. to, I mean, he didn't like go to the mat arguing with me, but he like, it's, it's taken a while. He, he, it's hard for him to get his, he's hard for him to get away well, from those ideas. I think there's also, and this is me, this is Clint speaking for Clint, not for Monica Perez, but there's also an effort to, uh, to change our definition of what masculinity is. And I, and I don't think it's really healthy. And I, one of my favorite quotes right now is by Jordan Peterson. And he says, if you think tough men are dangerous, wait till you see what weak men can do. Wow. We, wow. He is something that is, else. You know, he just resigned his tenure professorship in Canada. He's had it for all this he, time. He, he just resigned it. He tenured professor. And he said, he goes, I can, he goes, I am done with the wokeness. My students. And if you're now a student of mine, it's affecting them getting jobs and grants and other internships. He goes, uh, wow. He, really? And he is, I'm telling you what they've done. They've stirred the beast with him. Cause now he really? just did a, po a podcast with Joe Rogan, four and a half hour podcast. Are you kidding? I guess he's it, feeling better from his coma. Yeah, I think he is. <laughs> <laughs> he, he handled the stress. Hey, his, I know his books are good. Yeah. His books are real good. His podcast. Is, I don't know if you've listened to his podcast. It's phenomenal. I can't listen to a lot of podcasts, but uh, I'm just, I, I'm too busy. And also I hate my ideas being formed by other, like, I don't, you know, that guy's probably thought of everything I could think of. So if I listen <laughs> I to him, that. I won't even know my own thoughts anymore. I'll just be like, well, it's done. This is right. done. I know you're on a tight schedule. I'm going to keep you a couple more minutes, and I'm going to ask you about two things. One, I'm going to ask you about the, the people are moving from blue states to other yes, states. Yes, yes. And if you're in California, you can't really get a U-Haul because they're not bringing them back as they move. People aren't moving back. Right, And right. then I just want to ask you before we wrap this up, what are a couple of the main headlines that you're looking at? Right, What are some things you have your eye on that you find interesting? So with that being the foundation for our exit of this conversation, uh, tell okay. me a little bit about the moving. Are you moving to yeah. Texas? I'm hoping to. I mean, we rent this house. Like I'm not expecting to stay here for the long haul, but I don't want to move my kids around. We've moved them around a lot. And I think they're in the home stretch now and they graduate from college that I think then we'll go. But so two years ago when I was, um, first came out here, I noticed immediately. And like, people were making fun of me, like you're moving here. Everybody's moving out. And I noticed that the policies. It, not just like closing the churches, but really closing the gyms and announcing like massive tax increases. I said, there's, they're moving, they're moving people out of here on purpose. And now they're I not thought, prosecuting some, some 
it yeah. some laws, but go ahead. Right, which is ridiculous. Like, I'm all for no prosecution of any drug laws, prostitution laws, gambling laws, but crime, you know, persons and property, you have to throw the book at those people. But yeah. anyway, so there were at least two reasons I thought for sure they were doing it on purpose. One was I felt like they wanted to clean out the cities because they want to redo infrastructure. I think that's why they intentionally collapsed that condo in Miami I think that that's what they want to do. Yeah, that's what I think. And um, so I mentioned that it was before the Miami condo collapse. So I was like, they're trying to empty out the cities because they want to make them smart. New York and L.A., for example. And then the other thing is, I said, look, they've got 30 million Democrats here in the city. They only need 15 to keep it blue. If they could take 15 and put them in the 15 smaller, you know, next smallest cities in the country, they could turn all the all those cities are blue, but they could push the blue out into the suburbs and. And I thought I, I identified Austin specifically. It was like Austin is already blue, but if you push those borders out, they have kind of contained Austin. They didn't really build out the highways and everything intentionally. They didn't want it to grow. But if you push it to its rafters, like it, it could tip the whole state. And that is actually what happened. And I... I mean, I predicted it and it happened and I had a reason. So if you predict the outcome, it gives some credence to your theory as to why. But um, it's not for sure. It could have been a coincidence. But what I noticed is even the people who are remaining here, the people with the most extreme Trump derangement system syndrome, the people who were absolute are fanatics about the vaccine, like fanatics, double masking, uh, whatever. And they're complaining about the taxes. They're like, this, this state is going to hell. And I'm like, don't you understand why you have been doing that for years now? Yeah. Yes. And because of people like you. And so then I was thinking, okay, the people who actually have vacated are probably the ones who aren't like hating Texas or they wouldn't move to Texas. They're probably the people who are, were closest to the tipping point of abandoning some of this liberal stuff. But a lot of them, it's kind of like Mexican immigration. Like they, they weren't Mexican immigrants who vote. They, you can bring the reason they want Mexican immigrants to vote. Why, why, why do you have to tie the right to work and travel to the right to um, vote and be a citizen? It's just, that's the only thing the Democrats want from the Mexican immigrants. So they want them to vote and they want them to vote, even though a lot of them are like, have good values, hardworking Catholics they were raised in a socialist environment, so they don't really understand the nuances, the kind of long game of economic liberty. So as much as you think that the people are moving from L.A. to Austin and may have awakened to the truth of, of liberty and justice for all, they it, it, I don't think for the most part that's what you're going to get. I think you're going to get people who are, you know, want the kinder, gentler, you know what I mean? People are just yeah. like, well, we need some common sense welfare laws, you know? Well, like, I, I think too, and then we'll hit your headlines. I, I think one, if you look at the stats right now, though, the, uh, the Latino and the Mexican vote in the United States is going actually more conservative right now because oh. a lot of them. Yeah. Well, here's what happened. When you start trying to say, we got to say Latinx or whatever, when they start, this pandering stuff. I think that's why you see more African-American votes are starting a little bit starting to change because people don't want to be pandered to. They don't want to be say, if you vote in order to claim your identity, you have to vote. And if you vote other than this, you are not authentically whatever you are. It's such BS. The second thing is 
it's a it's a t-shirt that you'll get when you move to Tennessee. I'll give it to you. Don't <laughs> don't California that. my Tennessee. Totally. I just know. Just don't. I know. Just it's don't. awful. And I think it's going to the hubs. Like Nashville's probably more purplish or blue. Atlanta, there are these big hubs in each state. See, now Atlanta, they brought the film industry there. I considered that a plot from the beginning. I thought of that as an invasion. Why the Fangul would they give them tax? You know what I mean? You don't. Oh, and it was like, we'll bring jobs to the city. I'm like, you bring jobs to the city. You're going to bring Yankees to the city. So don't do that. You know, like that's and not coming from not a Yankee plan coming from a Yankee. I know, but like the, I, we were the only house on the street that ever had like they, the neighbors used to say, we know who's going to lose the election by what stickers on your parents' door. <laughs> so we were, we were in exile. But uh, uh, so the headlines for me, I've been yeah. doing some deep dives. Uh, one, Ukraine is something that I spent a lot of time in back in the day, 2013, 2014. I know that everything you're hearing about Ukraine is a lie. The We have been the aggressors from the beginning. Victoria Nuland was caught on tape plotting the overthrow of the democratically elected government of Ukraine in 2013, 2014. I had all those tapes. Um, I could probably still find them. I think I have them on my hard drive somewhere, even though they took down my WordPress site for publishing stuff like that. Um, Putin did not annex Crimea. Crimea, they always owned Crimea. It was briefly part of Ukraine. His fleet was there and he won an election in Crimea that was almost 100%, 100% vote, like 90% voter participation, 90% voted to be Russian. They were Russian. They spoke Russian. The new government outlawed Russian. And some of these people were first first language Russian speakers. That's still what's going on. The people in those two counties on the Russian side of Ukraine are not separatists. They want autonomy because they are native Russian speakers and Ukraine outlawed Russian as an official language. So we're provoking Russia. And I think that the reason we're provoking Russia is that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is about to open up, doubling the gas flows from east to west. And Germany is a huge a trading partner of Russia with respect to that gas. They consume the gas. And all of this is about pressuring Germany to move from Russian gas to liquefied natural gas from the U.S. and Qatar, Qatar which is what was all what the Ukraine coup was all about. So there's a little something. All right, there's one. Let's go to and another then, one. And the other one was, I was going to give you my deep dive on DeSantis, but I'm going to skip that because you're going to hate it. Um, oh, can you, can you I'll give you a little, I'll give you a little. one of them? I just, God. you know, DeSantis, uh, I was so happy with who his Surgeon General, and I talked to somebody who was on a tech panel advising some governors. They tried to advise Newsom, and they tried to advise DeSantis. Newsom didn't even show up to the meeting. DeSantis showed up fully vetted, like he understood everything, and he implemented their policies, and it did work out. I mean, it was really great, and then he got the Surgeon General, this new Surgeon General, this Nigerian guy. is fucking awesome. So I was really loving him. I wanted to love DeSantis. And then I dug into his story a little bit. Oh my gosh. He's like, uh, went to, I know going to Yale and all that. I shouldn't hold it against him, but this yeah, guy, but I mean, not everybody, we gotta have, there's no way to be perfect. Look, I, I would, I'm definitely going to prefer him as president, but he probably will be president and I prefer him to Kamala Harris, but the, but he's also like some of his other policies are kind of screwy. Like he wants an election 
task for uh, uh, an, an enforcement arm for elections that draws from Homeland Security, yeah, from the good. Department of Justice. Like that one isn't good. He just I just suspect that I didn't like that he banned or forbade private businesses from from requiring the vaccine. I didn't like that either. You can't do that because then it's just going to open up to the next guy. So I I suspect him of being kind of a deep state operative. However, I prefer the deep state operatives who are obliged to give us some freedoms than the ones who build back better in Klaus Schwab's shadow. Well, and two, if you're going to throw 10 policies out there and I think two or three of them suck and I want to I want to have debate over yeah. it, I'm better than that than yeah. you throw 10 out. There's only one yeah. or two that I kind of like. I'm with you. There's not going to be a guy that our girl that we elect that's going to be it's going to have every policy that's not going to be what we're not going to let Ron Paul be president. Ever. No, we're not going to let him be. And, go ahead. I'm and then, the and then I got one, a conspiracy yeah. for you. All right. There go was ahead. one last one about immigration. I was looking into Kamala Harris going to Honduras and all that kind of stuff. And I uncovered a, a can of worms there that the White House put out this executive order to look into the root causes of immigration. I was like, OK, I have my theories about that. And they will definitely not either identify the right causes or identify the right solution, which would be more liberty and more respect for national sovereignty. And when I dug into what the details of their task force on that, I found, I said, they're going to have aid. It's going to, they're going to invite the globalists in. And in that executive order, it calls on help from the partnership for Central America. And when I looked at who was on the executive board. I mean, Klaus Schwab himself was on uh, the executive board of that thing. So that's right. It's an executive order in the White House. So this immigration stuff is really about like a mercantilistic, slave-based opening up of the Central American countries, in my mind, kind of like the way we did Asia, Southeast Asia. Okay, can I give you mine real quick and then I'll let sure. you go because you have a real podcast yes. to do today. I okay. know. All right, sure sorry. Did. I apologize. No, I know. Okay. I love it. It's a joy. Here we go. So I just saw that, you know, one of the Supreme Court justices is going to be retiring at the end of this session. So and he's a liberal judge. And President Biden has already said that he is going to appoint a woman of color to fill that position, because just like with his vice president. So arbitrary. Do I count? Is, well, no, yeah. I, I mean, that's, what bothers, me. that's yeah. what bothers me. It has to be it's it, no a matter what you look like. Not that you can't find qualified people that look different than you. But the 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 focus is on the looks before that. It just baffles me. But anyway, as Stacey said, you can tell by looking at me that I can be trusted. Well. Like, who would you want? You know, like that's the perfect puppet. That's the perfect face job for like a carpet bagging situation. That's well, the last it's, thing it's you this, want. You let don't want to judge a book by your cover. Yeah, it's the same way as we didn't. We we migrated away from the good old boy network from the seventies. That was not doing us as much justice as we could. So we came. To, you know, in other words, we're bouncing back and going the opposite direction. But but. Let me give, let me lay it out and then I'm gonna let you go. Then you can use this on the podcast because you actually okay. have listeners and I'll, I, know, I don't have, uh, You'll have uh, enough time to prep. So I might have to rip you off a little bit, buddy. Here we go. I think that President Biden is going to nominate Kamala Harris. She will step out of the vice president because she's nobody likes her. They will vote in a different vice president. President Biden will then either get 25th out or not run for reelection. Wow. And you will either have. Hillary, Michelle Obama, or Buttigieg as vice president that will run for president. That's what I That think. is some theory. That's Wait, what if it's Stacey Abrams? Whoever is going to get, they'll have to get voted. No, on the they'll Supreme to, Court. 
Is she a, does she have, well, you know, we've had, you don't, you don't need any qualifications. You don't she need did any. Go, I think she went to but, Yale law school, but, but I do think that Kamala Harris solves the problems for the Democrats. Yes. She's so yes. Unpopular. No, that's, that's brilliant. It removes her from that. Yeah. That's brilliant. It gives them an ally on the Supreme court and it allows a different player to enter the political stage. Who might be Stacey Abrams? Interesting. Or Hillary Clinton or Michelle yeah. Obama or Pete Buttigieg or one of these yeah. folks that has more political right. clout. All right. I'm going to take that. I'm going to think, have there to marinate on that. Do some research on that one because I don't do any research. I just say whatever's right here. That's it. Yeah, popping off. That's great. I can handle that. <laughs> hey, Monica, you are always really gracious with your time and a busy schedule. I love your podcast, The Propaganda Report. I hope people go to your Patreon. I hope they follow you. And I hope this year is just the best yet. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. Thank you very much. Tell Binkley I said hi. I sure will. I was going to invite him, but he's got to work since I'm not. And happy, and happy birthday <laughs> to your mother. I'll tell her you said hi. Yeah. She'll love it. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, Monica. Bye. See you, everybody. <laughs>